0: title of my sermon is wait what that's the name of it okay turn and tell somebody I'm praying for Pastor Chuck because he's going to need it this morning you can be seated I came here in 1989. I was single. I was 23 years old and I just moved out of Hughes Hall at Lee University. Then it was Lee College and um, there's a nice family that lived on my way home from here and um, Wilson and Rosie Long. I had been here two or three weeks and they invited me over for dinner one weekday and um, I got there and Wilson said a few things. He said, we eat every weekday at six o'clock sharp. And Rosie always fixes more than we can eat. And it's always good. And you are always invited. And I said, don't say that unless you mean it. And they convinced me that they meant it. Wasn't long after that that I stopped by and one time they heard the door open and Rosie saw me coming in and Wilson called from another room and he said, who is it? And she said this, it's just Chuck. And I thought, wait, what? It's just Chuck? What she was saying was, it's not our kids, it's not one of the kids bringing their family, it's just Chuck. And for the next four years plus, until we got married, Candace and I, every time I walked in and I just showed up at five till six, they said, Oh, it's just Chuck. In Luke chapter 2, we see the story of Christmas. Verse 11 and 12 says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, he is the Messiah. The Lord, this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and and lying in a manger. Verse 16 says, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. Everybody say the baby. The baby who was lying in the manger. The word says, this will be a sign. This will be the sign you will find a baby. Wait, what? I, I thought you said you are bringing a Messiah. I thought you said you were sending the Lord and you told us, don't be afraid. I bring you good news, great joy, and there's a baby. It's just a baby. Verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby. How many of you are glad you found the baby? Have you ever received a gift that was less than? It was less than what you hoped for. It was evident on your face and somebody had to explain to you what it was or how to use it. And then you realized, oh, And it was not less than. It was actually more than. God does this. It's His way. He does something that no one else has ever done. And He starts with something very small, often unnoticeable, with very little potential or promise. And He says, today a a Savior has been born. Do you know how long God has been waiting to say? Today, a Savior has been born. Doesn't he know that saving the world is a job for men, real men, strong men, and probably lots of them. And what's he doing starting with a baby? It's how God does things. All the time. Another time, he needs a boat. A big boat to save humankind. And he starts with a man and a hammer and a saw. And that one man probably recruited some of his family or anybody that was crazy enough to believe that he was not off his rocker and they built a boat, a big boat, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide. God starts that way. Another time, God needs to... Deliver the Israelites his people from their nemesis the Philistines and there's a giant who has a lot of brothers and they're taunting God's people and God's people are scared and there's no one to go out except a little shepherd boy whose dad had overlooked him when the prophet came looking to see if any of his sons are special Goliath is taunting them and here comes David bringing cheese and crackers to his older brothers and he's too small for even any of the uniform. There's nothing that fits him and yet God uses him to deliver the children of Israel. Another time after Jerusalem is destroyed, he needs to rebuild in Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem and the temple and he raises up one of the prophets because everybody is discouraged and, and overwhelmed and oppressed and can't see hope. And one of the prophets says, hey, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Everything great, God always starts with something small. And as long as that small thing stays humble and leans on him, God usually sends a message to the world that God can do anything through anybody as long as they'll lean on him. And in your life, in my life, every great thing God has ever done in my life, it started with something that was almost unnoticeable. Every great thing. You have to pay attention You have to understand God's ways. We often think that God should do things one way, our way. In fact, most people think that all the time that if God's going to do something, he's going to do it in a predictable way, the way I understand, the way that is logical and makes sense. And yet God does something the other way. Because it's not our way, it looks like the wrong way. And it doesn't make sense. It's not logical. It looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's so confusing and unrecognizable. Isaiah said about God that his ways are higher than our ways. And they are. They are better. John chapter 4 we see this play out a little bit. Like, can you imagine the wise men, the magi, the, the, the shepherds, everybody looking for a deliverer, a Messiah. It's been 400 years since you've said anything, God. Malachi was a long time ago. My children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, we've all said, well, one day the Messiah is going to come. And it's much like us today. One of my children said, Dad, they've been talking about Jesus returning since I was a child. And I said, you're 19. You're still a child. And I said, let me tell you, they've been saying that to me too. And that's how God does things. 400 years he'd been waiting to say today in the city of David, Messiah has been born. For 2000 years God has been waiting to send Jesus to come back. And he will come back and return. And the signs for many will be unrecognizable. The scripture says, he'll come like a thief in the night. He will come at the moment people are least expecting him. It's the way God does things. That's why we have to lean in to his spirit. Hear me somebody. We have to constantly lean into His Spirit. I think He went out and told shepherds for two reasons. Number one, the, 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 the educated elite, they were too impressed with themselves. They thought they were doing God a favor. They were so cool that God was lucky to have them and they wouldn't listen to Him if, a shep, if, a, if an angel showed up and said what He told the shepherds. I think the second reason He told the shepherds is he wants you and me to know that God cares about people who are on the outside looking in. He cares, about, he cares about people who drive trash trucks and work the third shift at Waffle House and work all summer long up on top of a roof putting shingles on top of one another. He cares about people who are cast out and have to drive a taxi 80 hours a week to make ends meet. And God is that kind of God. How many of you are glad he's a God who came down to identify with us? And as we look back, we say, wait, what? And we continue to say, God, what are you doing? The woman at the well, she came to get water every day at noon. It was hot. In that part of the world, you know the story. Nobody goes and gets water that time of day because you dehydrate yourself going to get the water. She went because she had a nasty reputation. She had had too many husbands to name them all. And yet Jesus was under the guidance of a divine GPS. And he goes out of his way into Samaria. The disciples are hungry. And he sends them on t- into town to get something to eat. And he sits down at the well and to you and me it looks like what is he doing? And the lady shows up and if you and I were the Messiah we would make sure we weren't seen in public by ourselves with a woman like that but he's doing something that looks confusing to us and he's got a laser focus for that woman, and as she walks up, he asks her for something to drink. She asks him, and he says, if you knew who it was that was asking you, talking to you, you would ask me to get you some water. And she went religious and racial on him. She said, oh, I see you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, we're kind of a half-breed, mixed race here, and my people teach us that we should worship this way, and I know you say that way, and, and um, she gets religious. It's what a lot of people do. When God comes near, we, we, we start talking and using the phrases, the cliches, to act like we know a little bit about what, what's happening and Jesus says, the day is coming when we won't worship on that mountain, that mountain. We won't be Baptist or Presbyterian or any other thing. We'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And she says, oh, I see that you know something about God. And he says, if you knew who I was, you would ask me to get you up." And listen, here's what she says. She says, you don't have any way to get water. Why would I ask you? Because you can't get to the water. You don't even have a pail. And then she says this, listen, and the well is deep. Have you ever tried to tell God about your situation and like he doesn't know? First she's insulting him going, um, that's a nice offer. I appreciate the Bible verse and your promises, God, often sound sweet and romantic. And I know you mean well, God, but bless your heart. You, you're not able to deliver on that. We do that. And then she says, plus, this isn't your average well, dude. This is a deep well. We find ourselves in that kind of situation as a pastor it might be the thing that frustrates me the most is people come to me wanting an answer and they don't like the answer or they see it as some flowery phrase. Pastor Chuck, that works for you and your happy little marriage and all you seminarians, but do you know what's happened to me? I may not, but he does. And if you knew who he was, you would trust him when he says, "I can quench your thirst, if you taste of what I have, you will never thirst again, ever." The wise men show up. The shepherds, the wise men. We don't know how far they travel. We just know it was a, It was more than days and weeks. And I know Hallmark and romantic tradition has changed the story, and and the facts bear are born out in the Bible and in the Gospels in Matthew and in Luke but listen we know they came a long way and they did have gifts, precious prophetic gifts at that and when they get there if I'm them I can imagine, do you remember the Brownsville revival? There, I had a theory about the Brownsville revival until I went and I had a friend who got me in the back door but if you remember in Pensacola, Florida people would wait all day long in summer heat before the doors open. Anybody remember what I'm talking about? And there were pictures and, and a lot of people from Atlanta area went down and I was like, wow, if you, Pastor Munn, why don't we just lock the church and not open until 1045? Well, the line wouldn't be as long and it's not as hot. And I thought, there's something about just, just having to wait. And, and I thought, when those doors open up at Brownsville, I thought, they are so dehydrated, so, they're delirious, they're so hungry for God, and their expectation was just through the roof, and you know what? God met them there. What's your expectation? Is it like the wise men... If I'm them, I'm going, walking up the steps, about to see, knock on the door, and see this king. Wait. What? There's people in December every year that are following the traditions. We got to get the stuff bought, the gifts wrapped. We got to spend the money. Got to get the Christmas bonus, got to go to church, we got to do the stuff, and they never see, they're like, God bless his heart, he can't really get water, his promises, he can't really fulfill, the well is deep, this morning, I want to tell you about the baby, the baby grows up, And in John 14, the baby is a full-grown man and he is—he spent three years with his disciples and he's about to leave and go back to be with the father. And in John 14, if you read those verses, he starts and says, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Where I'm going, you can come too. And he says to them, you know the way. And old Thomas says, Wait, what? We, we don't know the way. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus then reveals in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. Now listen, these three things I want us to look at just a second. Don't be like he's just a baby. God starts that way. He looks. He raises things up and does amazing things. He might be doing something in your life that starts small. It might be growing. And Jesus, as a full-grown man, you've heard this statement in John 14, 6 before. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. And then he makes this statement. Everybody hear me in a politically correct world. I make no apologies. This isn't conservative think tank. This isn't group thinking. This isn't an influencer here. This is, this is the Messiah. He said, there's no other way to the Father but by me. Let's talk about those things. Number one, he says, I am the way. The way was one of the early names for the Christian faith. Jesus, you're claiming to be the way. Let me go back to Luke chapter 2. It doesn't look like you or your father know the way. It looks like y'all don't know what you're doing. A virgin conceives. She's in the late stages of her pregnancy. Some distant town you've got to go to because the governor says everybody's got to pay their taxes and we need a census. And... The virgin happens to be married to a guy that's from another area, and so there your mama is as a teenage virgin carrying the Messiah, and you got to get on the back of a donkey and, and travel 60 miles to get there. You're the way? It doesn't look like you are the way. And when you get there, either Joseph or God or whoever's in charge, if anybody is, you didn't even make reservations. There's no room for you. And uh, that's why you got stuck in a barn as we romanticize it in the U.S. But if you've been to Israel, it's really a cave. But regardless, the only people there were animals, some shepherds. The wise men came later. And I would say to you, Jesus, if you're the way, that's not the way I would have come to save the world. Our friend Mark Harris from Lee University that we were students with, he's the one who wrote the song. It's a, the song. It's a strange way to save the world. And I listen, brothers and sisters, y'all know me. Let me not lose my train of thought and get down some rabbit trail. It's Christmas and we got a wedding to do after this. I already lost my train of thought. Just kidding. It's Christmas, and you know, Pastor Chuck, well enough to know. I'm not going to get up here and play Hallmark. I'm not going to give you some cute little deal because I think there's revelation in all of God's Word. And I think somebody needs to hear what God is saying. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Um, when it appears that God doesn't know what he's doing in your life. When it appears that there were no reservations made, when it appears that God didn't know about the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, when it appears to you from a natural standpoint, he's not a responsible, trustworthy, or caring God. It might be just the opposite. He might be in absolute sovereign control. He might have a better way. The chances are, in hindsight, one day you're going to look up and go, what was I thinking? Your way is higher than my way. All right, here's, the, here's a couple things. If, if you were God... And you had created mankind. And you decided to come to earth to love mankind and redeem him back to yourself. Wouldn't you want people to know who you were when you got here? How many of you? Raise your hand. Some of you wouldn't. If you were God, some of you aren't God you want people to think you're God. How many of you would say, when you came, you'd want people to God's the same way? Do you think God is going to send his most precious gift and kind of leave it out there as nebulous, like we're not sure? No. That's why there were 332 prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, when he would come, that he would be born of a virgin. He would have 12 followers. One of them betray him for 30 pieces of silver. How he would die between a criminal and a thief. That he would be buried, where he would... The details were infinite. So, when it looks like God, why are you taking that poor pregnant lady from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Because hundreds of years ago, the prophet said what would happen. Hundreds of years ago, I told him this is how it would be. I've got a grand story. I've got an epic series that I'm unveiling here. And when he comes and he dies, and he's resurrected, they will know that they know that they know. I know the way. Could it be in your life that you're going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, donkey, pregnant, It fills out no room in the inn? What are you talking about? And God is just trying to say, listen, trust me. I know the way. I'm a woo, I'm about to birth I have conceived something in you that when it gives birth, it will change the world. Whew. Are y'all out there this morning? Mm. I got I got to move on. But I y'all know I can't just get canned religious Christmas ceremony on you I believe intimacy with the Father conceives things in us that when we travail have you been in a delivery room lately we have babies are tender and precious and vulnerable and it almost kills a mommy To deliver them. And it's worth it. The reason the devil doesn't want you to learn about the secret place. Where the most high dwells. Where God dwells in intimacy with you. The reason Satan doesn't want you to get. He wants you to get distracted. Remodel the house. It's time for. Hey everybody's coming to Bethlehem. There is a. Bumper crop season business, there's an opportunity for commerce. Satan will do everything he can to keep you from the secret place where the most high, because he knows divine, supernatural things get conceived in human beings like Mary and you and me. And when they grow and are birthed, and it often costs our life almost when they are birthed, that's how the world changes. I believe God's wanting to conceive something in us as a church. I believe God's wanting to conceive something in you that will be worth it and it will bring world change. How many of you say, May it be unto me as according to your word? Come on, somebody. How many of you say, I'm receptive? I receive the word of the Lord this morning. Come on, give him praise this morning. I don't have time to, to develop all of this stuff, but this is when Jesus said, "I'm the way." Then secondly, said, "I am." Listen, the truth. I don't, I don't know the answer to everything. Only, I, I'm not telling you. I'm a familiar with truth, and if you get close to me, you'll get better understanding. Jesus says this. I'm getting ready to have to preach something that I can't put into words. And I pray by God's spirit, he helps you get it. He says, I am the truth. Look, brothers and sisters. Jesus is the person of truth. He is true. He's not truthful only. He is. He is the person of truth. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. Jesus, what's that mean? You've heard me say it before. When it says, in the beginning was the word, it means this. His life tells everybody the things that God is wanting to say. And later it says in John 1, as I prayed earlier, in him was life. And that life was light. How important is light? We can't get much done in darkness. Jesus is, listen, Colossians and Corinthians says, listen, the whole world was held under the sway of the enemy, walking in darkness. Humankind was living their life with their eyes shut until the person of truth was born. No wonder the prophet said, and the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is the truth. Your relationship to the truth will tell the story of your life. I, could, I wish I had time to break it down. If you're living a lie, eventually you'll find out. It's just the nature. If, if you are closely affiliated and involved with truth in areas of your life, all areas of your life, eventually you'll find out and you'll know the truth and guess what the truth does it sets you free anybody out there getting picking up a little bit of what I'm putting down there are no absolutes though pastor chuck there's no absolute truth everybody listen what is an absolute truth it's something that is absolutely true for all people at all times in all places and this is the battle of our culture there is, in our culture particularly, not others around the world, ours is unique because of pluralism. Every religion in the world is here, and we're trying to make it peaceable. Look, and for the, for the philosopher who says this, how can you be so smart and not be smart? There are no absolutes to which I say, are you absolutely sure of that? Nothing can be the the law of non-contradiction. Something can't be true and not true. It's either, are y'all tracking? It's either true or it's not. Well, there are no absolute truths. Well, you just declared one. Am I right, Lou? Well, how can Christianity claim exclusivity? I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that the Christian faith is the only faith that gets this question and only in this country. The truth is that every major religion in the world claims exclusivity. Listen to me. Hinduism is often represented as being the most tolerant and accepting of other faiths. Not true. All Hindus believe in two fundamental uncompromising doctrines. The law of karma what goes around comes around, and the law of reincarnation. Buddhism, in the same country, was born out of the rejection of two other very dogmatic claims of Hinduism. Buddha rejected the authority of the Vedas and the caste system of Hinduism. And the issue isn't here about, well, is Buddha more right or the Hindus? That's not the issue. The point is, that both claim to be right. Islam is a very clearly is very clearly an exclusive claim to God and rightness. Listen to me, and I don't apologize for th- saying this, and I'm not in fear to say this. A Muslim, a true Muslim will never tell you that it doesn't matter what you believe or that all religions are equally true before you get upset with me let me remind you that it is the very nature of truth that presents us with this reality truth by definition is exclusive everything cannot be true listen, put your thinking cap on if everything is true then nothing is false and if nothing is false then it would also be true to say everything is false. Now, y'all have that, wait, what look? Truth, by definition, is exclusive. Everything cannot be true. If everything is true, everything is true, then nothing is false. And if nothing is false then it would also be true to say that everything is false. We cannot have it both ways. We shouldn't be surprised at the claims of absolute truth. (sighs) This is what our world, our culture in particular, is trying to sell us. And that's why God said, when I come, I want everybody to know it's me. I'm going to do exactly what I... I saw this last night. Look at me. Have you ever read Luke chapter 2? It said, after the shepherds got back, they went back to work. They were rejo-, Listen, rejoicing and praising God that they had found everything just as the angel told them. What's that mean? God came in the form of an angel and said, go here. Here's what you're going to find. They went there. And found exactly. And it was outlandish what God told them to do. It was a heavenly host, thousands of voices singing. And when they got back to work, they were like, dang. It was just like that angel said it was going to be. We went over there in Bethlehem. And I'll be doggone. We went out there to that barn, out behind that hotel. And doggone, there was a Messiah right there in the right there in the trough with hay. And they were did you see them? Dang! I ain't ever seen such a thing like that in my whole life. That's why we need to go telling on the mountain. We got to tell everybody what God has done through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are y'all that? That's, I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun, but it was like this. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's true. Oh... Don't be offended that your faith claims to be ultimately true. Churches are emptying out because there's this lukewarm, comfortable. He was a good teacher. Have you read the Bible? If he was just a good teacher, you need to keep reading. He was not just a good teacher. He was either heretic, lunatic, or he was Lord, Josh McDowell said. He wasn't claiming to be... He claimed to be the Son of God. He said, I'm the way of the truth. He said, unequivocally, I'm the only way to the Father. Whew. That's why when we come and we sing things like... "We say, Oh, what a wonderful child. I say this almost every Sunday. This is why our worship in here... We ought to want to be tempted to do what they do at real concerts. Get up on our, our, the top of our chairs just to get closer and get louder. We, we ought to just let ourselves go saying, yes, what a wonderful child. Dang, did you see him over there? That was the son of God. Are you all out there this morning? You're looking at me like you need a chill pill. No, I'm looking at you like you need to understand Jesus Christ. He said it. I am the way. I am the truth. You ought to act like you know him and that you have discovered the way to eternal life. He opens up John chapter 14 and he says, don't be afraid. I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can come to. I'm the only way to get there. What was he talking about? The thing you're most concerned about. Not your 401k, not your children. He's talking about eternal life. He's getting ready to break this down. And he says, at the end of the chapter, verse 27, again, he knows, please hear me, the way, the truth. He says, peace, I leave with you. Look, not as the world gives. He says, he says this. This is as intimate as it gets. My peace, in verse 27, I leave with you. Why does he say that? Twice, the beginning and the end. Because He knows where he's going for us to get there, it's going to often look like he doesn't know the way or he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's not true. And he's saying, I give you my peace. Oh, I could go eight million ways right here. This is why Jesus, at the end of his training with the disciples, he says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. As God sent me from heaven... To come to the earth, to redeem the earth, every tool I had, the access to him, the peace, the joy, the authority, the Holy Spirit in me, everything that God sent me from heaven to the earth, he says, I send you out with the same things. How many of you are glad you have his peace, his authority, you have the revelation of wisdom and truth and knowledge? Come on, somebody, praise the Lord this morning. We receive your word, your truth, Lord God. There's a story in India about a little brother and sister. It was a boy who, Ravi Zacharias tells this story, and he says, um, it's a little boy who had a precious collection of mar- marbles that he loved. And his sister had a precious bag of candy that she loved. And he began to be obsessed with that candy to the point he went to her and said, I'll, get, I'll trade my marbles for your candy. And her being a little sister, thinking, he'll eat that candy and it'll all be gone and I'll still have his marbles. Smarter than her brother. It happens sometimes with the female-male relationship. And he said, deal. He took the bag of candy, went into his room to get the marbles, and as he was looking at them, he began to realize how much he loved them. So he took some of the precious ones. And tucked them under his mattress and went back and gave them to her. He enjoyed the candy. And that night, listen, while she slept well, he tossed and turned all night long. Why? He wondered, did she give me all of the candy? People who don't know the truth. I say this respectfully. There's a lot of smart people that call themselves people who say there is no God. But Ecclesiastes 3.11 says God put eternity in our hearts. God wired us to search and look for truth. How many of you are glad you're the little sister and you got the marbles and you sleep well at night because you know you have met the way, the truth, and the life? Amen. (laughs) Lastly, I'm going to close with this right here. Jesus said, I am the life. Once again, Jesus, you are the life. He lived a life and showed us the way by revealing truth. He was born to die, born before, before the foundations of the world. The lamb was slain. Luke 17, Matthew 16, 25 says, Jesus said, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. He who loses it will find it. Wait, what? Jesus shows us the way is often an oxymoron for the way as we see it. He says the first will be last. The last will be first. The way up is down. The way down is up. If you want to be the greatest, become the the, the least. The leader will be a good follower. He goes on and on. Paul later would say, I'm crucified with Christ, but I live. In fact, the life I live, I live by faith. The Son of God is living life through me. Closing with this right here. In John chapter, chapters 13 through 17, 53 times Jesus uses the word Father. In the Gospel of John, 141 times he uses the word no. Why does he do that? Please, Holy Spirit, help me bring this in for a landing. He does that because of this. Every person wants to know the Father. In John, there's four levels of knowing. One is to just know a fact. The second level of knowing is to understand the truth behind that fact. I yelled at one of my boys today, or I I kindly exhorted him to get out of bed, is what I meant to say. And the second time I exhorted him, I had to admonish him a little bit. And I was like, if you don't get out, you're going to be late for church. And he said, I know. No, you don't know. Because if you knew, you'd get out of bed. You're actually going to be late. No, I'm not. Y'all know what I'm... There's knowing a fact. There's second, to understand truth behind that fact. And then thirdly, you can know a fact and understand the truth behind the fact and still choose to not embrace it. The third knowing introduces relationship. In John 17, verse 3, Jesus says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Everybody look here. The third knowing is not just a fact or knowing. About why something is true. Listen, the third no in John's gospel is this. It's relational. The Bible says intimate relationships between husband and wife. It said about Mary, she had never known a man. And to know one is to be physically, sexually intimate. And Jesus is saying, Father, may they know you in an May they know you in an intimate way. How many people just know Him? I pray, I don't want my children to just know about God or know church stuff. I want them to know Him in a relational, intimate way. Fourthly, the fourth is to know in a deeper relationship, more than physical intimacy. It is to know in its most complete, intimate in relational way, John, his gospel is so beautiful. It's big. to know in that fourth way. It's like Candace and I knew each other. Then we knew each other. Then we got married, and we we knew each other intimately, sexually, and now, years later, we know. At Christmas, God doesn't want you to know him or know him. Or no, he wants you to know him. Please, brothers and sisters, move beyond, move beyond the hallmark, traditional, religious ritual experience of Christmas. It will take a miracle of the Holy Spirit. I feel even now, I sense the intimacy of His presence. I sense God giving you right now, or trying to give you more than what I've said this morning. And that's how He is. Anybody just nod if you understand what I'm saying this morning. Anybody? Nod a little more because I'm discouraged. There's not much nodding. You know, I, we were talking this morning as we were getting ready, and I just, um, it's been a tough week because a lot, Christmas, the joy of Christmas, a lot of people enjoy. And the strain and stress and loneliness of Christmas, a lot of people endure. The nice Christmas bonus that pays for Christmas is enjoyed by some. While others, they go to bed feeling bad that they're not able to do for their children like they would like. And a pastor feels that. My I, can't, I haven't been able to sit down for two weeks and do five minutes of devotion without my phone blowing up. And I'm not saying that for you to go, I better not reach out to Pastor Chuck. No, reach out. We'll find a way to get help. You know, there was, I sat at Tuesday night with, listen to this, This is this is the way, the truth, the life. I sat with a mother who's going through a very difficult divorce and lots of children, part of our church family. And, It was a joy. It wasn't a stressful time for me. It was a joy because of this. A lady in our church has a client. The client said, I want to do something for somebody at your church. The client wrote a check, put it in an envelope, gave it to her. She didn't open it. She gave it to me last Wednesday night. And she said, this is for somebody in our church and Pastor Chuck I promised him I wouldn't open it up but I want you to open it up and I opened it up and I was like oh my goodness a thousand dollars I know exactly where that needs to go and I showed the lady in our church and she nearly fell over she began to tear up and then this past Tuesday I was able to sit with that family and go look this isn't even from our church I didn't raise an offering. God just out of the clear blue, somebody who doesn't even go to our church, filled out a check for $1,000 and left the name blank, who does that? And I'm able to give it to that lady and she gets to fill out her name. Where'd that come from? The way, the truth, the life? That's. That's happened more than once in the last two weeks. And I'm here to tell you, if you haven't met the babe, he doesn't have a bucket. He can't, the well is, my well is deep. He can't get to, that little baby can't help me. Oh, yes, he can. Anybody had their marriage restored to say, the well, I'd see you stand and die. Anybody been delivered? That can say, oh, he's got a pail. He can go way down deep. Anybody been set free? Anybody seen any miracle in your lifetime to go? Oh, that little baby. Oh, what a wonderful child. Anybody? Come on. Stand to your feet, people. Let's let's praise the name of Jesus. Before we do, and before I let you go, I want to just, I want to give the opportunity to introduce you to jesus the way the truth and the life and i want to be sensitive especially to people who it's a challenging season might be the first christmas season without a loved one might be the second and it's it might be easier but it's by that much if anything at all and the weight and the and the loneliness of that is suffocating Come on, everybody in this room, I want you to just be mindful and sensitive. Jesus, make a way. Make a way. I see you, Andrew. Make a way. Make a way. Continue to be the truth. Resilient, reliable, faithful. Yep. You, God, will make that trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem as a vulnerable embryo on the back of a donkey to fulfill your promise that you spoke through Micah. And you are the life. Paul said, talking about intimate life, in Philippians 3, verse 10, he said, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And to welcome suffering so that I might understand even when I die, I too will be resurrected. I pray, Father, for every person who has a heart that's heavy for all the right reasons. They're not weak. You weren't unfaithful. You weren't mean, Lord. They've gone through the travail, the troubles of this life. And I pray in this Christmas season that you would encourage and breathe life and joy, restore hope for a bright future. I pray in the name of Jesus. If you need strength this morning to make it through these next few days, and you'll admit it's tough. Maybe there's memories that surface. Maybe there's... Too many gifts to buy and not enough money to get by them. Would you just lift your hands in the name of Jesus. Receive strength, receive strength, receive strength. We speak peace. Jesus says to you this morning, my peace I leave with you. I do not give as the world gives, for the world gives and takes it back. It's temporary. He says, I give you peace that passes understanding, guards your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Everybody just say, I receive your peace, Lord Jesus. Say it out in the name of Jesus. Praise you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you hear me talk about stuff like this and your heart is strangely warm and there's a little nervousness maybe and some doubt that, Pastor Chuck, I don't know if I know Jesus like that. Maybe you're here and you go, I I really don't know him. And the pluralism and the absolute truth battle and the cultural and religious wars. I'm just worn out and I feel God calling me this morning to surrender my life to Him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're here and you don't know 100% sure if you're a Christian, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want you to do that in just a second. If you're here and you doubt, you're not sure, or maybe you're sure, you're sure you don't know him. Whatever the case, I want to give you an opportunity to drive a stake in the ground, close the deal, walk out of here with the peace of God, an intimate relationship with God through his son, Jesus. If you're here and you don't know him on the count of three, I want you to raise your hands. When I count to three, I want you to just put your hand up and